0: Gentlemen, welcome to Secrets of the Sire radio show and podcast. Coming to you live from a super-secret location. Uh, namely, I have my, my tea in hand. I have my vitamin C. Um, it's, been a, uh, it's been a rough uh, week just getting over a cold. So instead of trekking to New York City, we're actually um, broadcasting live from a super-secret location, which is my house. So, um, but we are excited to have you guys here. It's very strange not talking into a mic. It's strange talking into a headphone. Um, but we've done some on-location shots, and now we're doing the first on-location shot from uh, my studio office. Uh, so welcome, everyone, Secrets of Desire. We do this every week. We talk comics, movies, TV, music, and pop culture, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, on TalkingAlternative.com. Uh, we have to stream it on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Secrets of sire um, We're going to try our best to, to um, get our... Uh, streaming um video when we have our interviewee on his name is jason powell he's the author of the definitive chris claremont book um, he is going to break down the epic 18-year run um coming up later on in the show uh, but first uh, we have a sponsor we'd like to get that and we want to welcome all of our, our periscope peeps we want to welcome all of our facebook peeps as well dante lawson jersey jedi what's up ferdios kirk just joined awesome good to see you as well too um, and Rusty Honda, I think, was on there. And welcome, Adam Kelsway. We're going to be breaking down Westworld season finale. So, uh, you know, hang with us. But first, the holidays can be overwhelming and awkward. Uh, what do you do in between meals to entertain your restless children and hungry adults? the fun food flip, the card game that takes your love of food and shares it with the family. Uh, each player gets dealt a hand of food cards and must come up with the most gross, most interesting, or most delicious and the most delicious combinations from each of the four course categories. Not only is it fun, but it could even help you plan your holiday menu. Uh, Go to funfoodflips.com now and experience it for yourself. And as a bonus for our listeners, again, it's a weekly talk show, radio show, and podcast, um, get 15% off the retail price this week only. It's a limited time offer. Check out FunFoodFlip.com. And as always, we want to shower our beloved patrons with love on the air. Again, if you go to michaeldolce.com, have a Patreon page for the show. This is Secrets of the Sire, talking comics, movies, TV, pop culture every week. Um, we have dedicated fans, Einar Peterson and Ashley Haikai, our program director, Stephanie Dolce, our executive producer, Steve Hovecki, and Brian Phillips, and as always, our Uber fans, Christina Dolce, and like I said, our new sponsor, Lynn Levy from Fun Food, Flip. Love you guys. Um, again, support the show any way you can. We're on YouTube, we're working on getting that YouTube URL. Google's a real pain in the butt, but um, you can search Secrets of the Sire. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. Uh, any podcasting app, we're on, like I said, Facebook.com slash Secrets of the Sire and Periscope at Michael underscore Dolce. So, check us out. All right. West World Finale. I know that's why some of you guys are on here. If you haven't checked out West World, I don't know how you're doing. Honestly, it's the best show since Game of Thrones. Um, we've got so much to discuss. We really do. Um, first of all, We're going to do the good, the bad, and the awesome, okay? Uh, The awesome is going to focus on what's to come because that's my big question mark after watching the finale. Um, You know, what is going to come with the show? Uh, It ends in such a way, and and Sam and I, uh, we were talking behind the scenes. Uh, If you're an executive producer, you actually get access to behind the scenes through a special Google Hangout. Again, michaeldolce.com. Go check it out. And, you know, I got him into the show, which is awesome. I'm very happy that I did. Uh, Welcome, Alex Mayne. Four, and someone else was showing too. I, I apologize, I missed them, but you know, I well I, we, Sam and I were talking about this with my engineer. Welcome, um, Brian Everham. Um, what did I think of the finale? I thought that if the finale, if the show ended right there, like like right there, like if it was a one season show, and that's it, it's perfect. I, I know everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens. Robots versus humans. Robots working with humans. There's, there's definitely some of where they're going to go with the show but everyone's character arc sufficiently was fulfilled for the most part with the exception of a couple stray characters which we'll talk about in the next segment that kind of we don't know what's going to happen with them is Elsie still alive uh, the head of security is that where's that guy everyone's story arc was fulfilled everyone's story arc kind of reached a satisfying enough conclusion i know some people were happy with certain things i was reading a lot of recaps um you know one thing i want to touch on too is i'm really really happy that i stayed off social media for for the majority of this show now this is the obligatory haven't watched the finale close your ears don't ever tune out i mean, that's the first thing that's the first thing i gotta say don't tune out just keep you know, just at least watch me mine. You can check out my my Ninja Turtle shirt. If you're streaming us, if you're on Talking Alternative, just you know, maybe don't listen as hard, but never never turn the never turn it off. That's that's the Shameless Squad first. But this is the spoiler time. This is where we're gonna get into details uh, about the finale. So if you haven't seen the finale, you haven't seen the show yet. I don't know what you're doing if you haven't seen the show. The show's off awesome. You definitely need to do it. It's just great. Go ahead and do it. Binge it ten episodes, you'll get through it in a weekend. Not even you'll get through it like overnight, easy. Everyone's story arc met a satisfying conclusion, right? We had the Men in Black, Men in Black, Man in Black, Men in Black. a movie we talked about that in the previous episode, episode twenty seven, uh, MIB twenty three. Go check that out. Um, the Man in Black arc was so fulfilling at the end, right? Now he's supposed to be the villain, right? I actually take a different take on it. I, I Yes, he's a villain of sorts, but, but watching William and watching that entire arc lead up to where he became who he was in the park. I mean, let's not forget, I mean, I guess the whole basis of the show is, is it real versus human? Is it, is it uh, you know, is an android real because they have consciousness? How are they any less or more real than a human being? Understood. I get it. Completely, completely get it. But at the end of the day, he's being vicious, he's being mean, he's actually doing all of this to androids, right? I mean, that's essentially what he is doing. So is he really a villain? Now, I feel like by the end, yes, he's done horrific things, he's a terrible, terrible person, but he, I don't know, I don't really see him as a villain. I see him as a man on a quest, right? An antagonist, yes, Um, an antagonist for Dolores. But then you realize at the end when you find out that William is man in black, you know, she drove him to be the man in black. Um, a lot of great stuff. Um, there's this really great Hollywood Reporter article, and they give you all the hints about what, what details kind of led up to this point where um, you know, the man in black is actually revealed to be William. Now, first of all, I said I stayed off social media for this show. i really happy I stayed off social media for the show, except one time I happened to see in my Twitter feed something that says, is the man in black William? And I'm like, I never would have even, I, I, honestly, and maybe I'm just dense, or maybe I'm just not following it as closely as other people are following it. He never would have guessed that they were the two, that, that they were the same, especially with the mole. I mean, the mole, Ed Harris doesn't have a mole. This does have a mole. Jimmy Simpson, I don't even know that they're the same. But um, what I saw that I actually really liked that, I thought that the arc now made a lot more sense that they're, they're traveling in different points in their history I thought that was I thought that was brilliant. I really did. I thought that was a a brilliant um, means of giving us filling us in on the backstory at the same time we're engaged in this like epic struggle that Williams involved in. Um, but here were some of the clues. Though um, September 30, a September 30th tweet from HBO noted that even logos deserve a deeper look. Fans took that advice as soon as Williams first episode when he arrives in the park. The Westworld logo is different than the one seen in every other instance. Um, surface details. There's a noticeable physical resemblance. Yes, there is. The stiffened lips, the piercing eyes, the low tone voice, and so on. Uh, The mole discrepancy, uh, you know, they they do mention that as well, too. Uh, Returning to multiple time frame theory, um, episode nine, when Logan, Ben Barnes, shows up a photo of his sister, aka William's fiance, it's the same photo that triggers Peter Abernathy, that character, back in the premiere. Strongly suggesting that William's story takes place in the past. So we welcome Ad uh to the park as well. Um, Angela, the host who introduces William to the park, reappears in episode eight, Trace Decay. Uh, the man in black recognizes the woman and remarks, "I would have thought they retired. You would suggest a man who hasn't seen this woman in a very long time. She's the one that first introduces William to the park. I mean, there's, there's definitely, but there's definitely a lot of hints here. William first meets Dolores when he picks up her can of food in the middle of Sweetwater." It's eerily reminiscent of Dolores and Man in Black's second scene together in the pilot, um, only more so when you view William as a younger version of an old killer. Um, in the fifth episode, the Man in Black kills traveling companion Lawrence. In a remote section of the park, almost instantly, Lawrence reemerges in the William and Dolores story in another suggestion that William and Men in Black were the same person operating at different moments in time. That was the biggest one for me, where it was kind of like, okay, that one makes sense, because even at the time, you kind of sit there and go, well, maybe there's multiple robots, maybe the... Maybe they actually do have more than one of the same character in the park at the same time. Uh, but that was the one that really does tip it. You know, it, it does tip it over as, as it kind of goes along. Alright, was the reveal satisfying? You know, that's the other thing that, that's really in question, right? I mean, was the whole journey for the Men in Black satisfying? So there's a couple of things. One, um, I didn't, and again, I don't view him as a villain. I, I no, I know he, he started out as a villain, but when you see his arc, I don't think his arc is one of a villain. I know he's a killer. I get that. But he's killing androids. He knows he's killing androids. He's killing and things that don't exist and aren't real because they can't make their own choices. It, it, it's like killing your toaster. Uh, it, it's like killing your, your... Well, you would never kill your laptop. If I killed my laptop, my whole business would be out. But, so is he really a villain? And what's it going to be in season two? Because he is back in season two. That's, uh, he's all but confirmed that, all right, not all but. He has confirmed. Ed Harris has confirmed. He will be back in season two. So the question is, you know, is he going to now, I mean, is he going to be a killer? I don't think he is. I don't think he ever was. I think this is a way for him to kind of, um, you know, free himself from reality, free himself from the person he was. He can be this person. Um, that maybe he couldn't be uh, somewhere else, you know? And, and this is what I saw from his journey. Um, you know, I didn't see it as, um, you know, as as him being this, this villain. But was his journey satisfying? It was. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it basically, looking at Dolores at the end, when William finally realizes um, that... Um, you know, this is, he's been mine, you know, she's been mine once, and she's not who he fell in love with, and that person's gone, I mean, that can definitely mess with you, and it definitely messed with him, there's no question about it, Um, you know, it definitely, um, you could definitely tell it messed with him, you could definitely tell it it, it drove him to, to kind of, you know, be who he was, but I never got the sense that he i know i think maybe because they only showed it briefly in the end of that last episode where he's starting to really kill them with the knife when he's actually striking them with the knife um which again once you see the knife you're like okay that's him This is definitely him that's definitely his knife um that's it almost reminded me of episode two of of star wars where they kind of hint at darth vader being evil but they never go full evil with him in his backstory um, even even episode three, by the time episode three comes around, I don't quite see, you know, Anakin Skywalker being Darth Vader. I don't make that connection of how you go from being someone who has empathy and sympathy to being just this cold-blooded Jedi killer. I kind of felt the same way about this. I felt the same way in this arc. I didn't quite see it. And again, that's why I don't view him as a, I don't view him as a uh, as a villain necessarily. Um, I view him as somebody who is on a journey um, and was shown a specific path. And that's essentially where I'm at right now. So, all right, when we come back for Journey, Anthony Hopkins, was his journey satisfying? And is he going to be back next season? I think he might when we come back.
1: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
0: Now, normally we do this from New York City um, but tonight I was under the weather all week uh, a little worse for the wear my voice you can probably hear it a little bit a little bit down uh, so for so coming from an undisclosed location which is my my office essentially so uh, it's good to have you good to have that spot at Premier Stark uh, our weekly um, regular um, if you really like dig the show uh, we appreciate you sharing the the um, the Facebook feed, if you can, um, which actually I should do right now, which was kind of dumb of me not to do. Um, I definitely think you should also go like us on, on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of the sire. You can, you can also go and check us out on um, Twitter. We're at Michael underscore Dolce. You can call in at any point. Um, we got a great guest coming up next segment, but right now we're still talking about uh, Westworld, Westworld, um, Westworld finale, and that's that's the big that's the big talk. Now, uh, Sam actually had a really great point. Sam's our engineer, and then runs our station as well too. And and I, again, I got Sam into it. Um, Man in Black was looking for an entire, um you know, we were looking for robots to fight back, and he has an entire clan of them, and, and they kind of leave him in a cliffhanger, like, oh, is he going to make it out? Ed Harris said he's going to make it out; he's definitely. But that's you know, that's the question though, right? Is 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 he going to be a villain next season? I don't think he is. I think that he was looking for a challenge now. He, he was also striving for consciousness for these robots, too. And now, what's he going to do once he experiences robots with consciousness? He's not going to be... In my mind, maybe he will be. I don't know. Maybe he's so far you know, past the point of William that he's now just a man in black, and he's a cold-blooded killer. Maybe that's who he's going to be next season. Um one thing next season we may or may not see is Anthony Hopkins. Now, Anthony Hopkins sounds like an actor who signed up for one season, and at the end, obviously, again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen World season finale, turn this, don't turn it off. Just look away. You can stare at my face the entire time. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, Anthony Hopkins' arc you know, ended with him going out the way Arnold was. Again, I don't know what I said. I, if this show doesn't come back for season two. I think everything's fine. I don't need, I actually don't need to know what happens next. to have enough ideas as to what happens next, but everyone's arc just circled perfectly. There's a couple of extraneous characters that we don't know who stated what. Um, I mean, we have Maze at the end, too. I mean, before we get into Anthony Hopkins' arc, you know, we have Maze who decides, or does she? That's a good question, right? Her programming was to escape does she escape or is her programming now to go find this daughter that she's still attached to because she can think for herself now um you know that's something that i think was, was was well done her arc is one of choices and she thought she was making choices and she found out she wasn't she's part of ford's narrative the entire time but now is that last choice hers or not it's a great way to end don't need i don't need to know more i don't need to know more um Ed Harris, that look on his face, like well, that's what Sam had kind of mentioned. You know, he's wanted robots to fight. Now he's got them. Now he's got them. You know, and is that, you know, is that something we need to see going forward? I don't know. I don't. I don't think we do. I think. Uh, th- don't get me wrong. I'm very excited about that. Um, Ford's entire run now. Now this is something. This is a fan theory that came up, but I actually thought of it myself, though. Right? And Sam actually said it to me. He said, it sucks that, you know. Anthony Hopkins gets killed at the end, you know, because he won't be back. Well, we know he won't be back. We'll be now, Because there are scenes in the previous three episodes where you see when we learn Bernard is is, is the host, and then we learn that Bernard is Arnold, Anthony Hopkins is building a host that entire time. And I originally thought it was going to be Bernard's lover, the security chief that he killed. Um, I thought that Hop, that Anthony Hopkins Ford was going to place a host in her place because I, I thought he felt that the army that the um, uh, we call the, uh, the the board was was he knew the board was muscling in on him so he knew that this final you know that he needed a way to stop and that's what I originally thought um, but when she was just dead uh, no no I knew okay something's up with his host and they never explain that so to me definitely an opportunity for Anthony Hopkins to come back and. Jonathan Nolan, who we're going to talk about in the fourth segment. I mean, we're already we're already almost through two segments here, which is which is crazy. Um, so, um, and there's just so much to talk about. So we're going to talk about Jonathan Nolan, the impact he has, and the credit we have to give him now for Batman, right? You watch a show like Westworld, and originally, you know, Westworld, uh, sorry, originally Batman was written by Christopher Nolan. Jonathan Nolan and David Goyer, and you sit there and go, okay, oh, David Goyer, guy's an industry pro, he's, he's a comic fan, you know, he probably, he wrote a great script, Christopher Nolan probably did a lot, Chris Nolan, you know, who's Jonathan Nolan, we know he's Christopher Nolan's brother, but, you know, what kind of storyteller is he, we don't know his impact, I'm wondering how much impact he now has, I and mean, we welcome at Malu87, I'm wondering how much impact Jonathan Nolan now has on those Batman movies, because they were so great, and they were deep, and they were awesome, and to see that same level, translate to this show versus David Goyer, who kind of wrote the screenplay for Batman and Superman, I believe it was him, or uh, or he wrote Man of Steel. He wrote one of, those, one of those two, I don't remember off the top of my head, Zack Snyder flick. Eh, not that good. David Goyer wrote Blade 3, directed it. Eh, not that good. You know, all of a sudden I was giving a lot of credit to David Goyer for the success of those Batman franchises. Maybe Jonathan Nolan no one deserves more. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know anybody that gave him any credit for any of those So but now you watch him in Westworld, amazing. Like, you just, you definitely, um, you know, you definitely see the impact he's had. Um, yes, Malu 87, the Westworld fa- finale was awesome. And I agree. I, I mean, that's basically what we've been talking about. For anybody catching up, we do this every week. It's the secret of the sire talking comics, movies, TV, pop culture. In this particular case, we're talking Westworld. Finale was amazing. And I throw well, it out to you guys I mean, ahead. do you need to see a season two? Is there a part of, I mean, and one of the things we want to talk about, right? And one of the angles yeah, that I want to take yeah. with it. Hey, right I now. don't I want this it ending the system, up like true Detective. And uh, he'll okay? bring you on that's after my the next biggest, commercial break. Okay? That's my biggest concern, okay. right? Hold on. Don't listen, want if it, you happen to get a little um, bit of an echo, turning into true just try to ignore it. It's only on your side. It's not on our side. I don't uh, want this turning into, the most amazing first season and then the rest just pale in comparison right i mean heroes heroes was like that um first season was was great and you know the subsequent seasons never could live up to it um i was March fan. i don't know if you guys ever watched that that show was built for one season it had a murder mystery and everything resolved by the end had a twist it was awesome every season after that um yeah Mallow 87 heroes really went downhill um yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, you know, Heroes really went downhill after season one because they just couldn't sustain it. It was almost, um, it was almost as if they didn't know, they didn't have an exit strategy. They never planned ahead. Now, the good thing about Westworld is they've been plotting this out for years. They're not coming back until 2018. I like that move. And Jonathan Nolan in a recent interview said, you know, look, movies take every three years. Um, okay, Mal 87, great, great point. What about Game of Thrones? It just gets better and better in my eyes. Um, okay, here's why Game of Thrones... Game of Thrones has six books to work from. So they, you know, George R. R. Martin had 20 years of material to give the producers and say, here's how it's supposed to go. I mean, it's essentially an outline. You can't mess up Game of Thrones. George R. R. Martin did that. This is something completely fresh. Westworld is based off a movie. Um, you do have material in the movie. Samurai World, which we did see in the finale, which was pretty awesome. Um, but Samurai you know, all this stuff, you know, they have a movie to base on, some, themselves off of, but that's it. They're essentially rewriting this from scratch. They're in the middle of a writer's room right now. Um, they're in ten weeks. Ten weeks the writers have been sequestered writing season two, and they had it planned out for five years, but this show has been in development for two or three years. Jonathan Nolan is essentially treating this like a... Um, like a movie and he says you know usually a movie takes three years a tv show takes one year we're splitting the difference and we're doing two years so yes it won't be back until 2018 um but i'm actually happy happy to see that i'm happy to know um you know I, i'm just i'm essentially happy that that is the route that they're taking we welcome nd nate uh, we welcome malu 87 we welcome jersey jedi who's always on which we love them we love the spot of premier stark we love dante lawson we love christine belsey we love Brian Everham, we love all the folks that come here every single week. We do this every single week. Secrets of the Sire, talking comics, movies, TV, pop culture. We're going to take a break from Westworld, but um, hang on tight because we've got Jason Powell, the author of the definitive Chris Claremont X Men book, coming up next.
1: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
0: Secrets of the Sire. We do this every week on TalkingAlternative.com. We talk comics, movies, TV, pop culture, uh, sometimes music. We get that in there in in time. Um, You can stream us live. Again, TalkingAlternative.com. You can listen to the radio show. There's tons of other great radio shows on there as well, too, so I really uh, do implore you guys to check that out. They're streaming constantly. It's it's a constant uh, stream. Some are live shows, some are replays. Um, Our show gets a lot of good replay airtime on that as well, too. I uh, you can stream us live on Facebook, Facebook.com slash secrets of the And uh, on Periscope at Michael underscore Dolce. That is me. I'm your host, Michael Dolce. Um, been a comic book writer for a long time. Uh, also done screenplays and some plays and uh, artists, graphic designer, all this fun stuff. So got a little inside knowledge for you. Wanna welcome my next guest though. We're gonna we're gonna deviate from Westworld. Uh, we'll get back to Westworld. I know a lot of people wanna jump on and talk more Westworld, but uh um, wanna introduce Jason Powell. He's the author of the best there is at what he does, examin- examining Chris Claremont's X-Men. Jason, are you there? Uh, yes. Hey, welcome to. Uh, welcome to the okay. show. I apologize um, that I'm that I'm sick today, but um, at the same time, this will not affect our interview whatsoever. In fact, you can talk more now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> good deal. Good deal. I'll take
0: it. Cool. So. Uh, Talk to me about the book. Um, how did you come up with the idea, and how did you pitch this to your publisher?
2: Um, well, the idea came from, um, I-, I guess, from going online to talk about the X-Men and feeling like uh, Claremont wasn't really getting his due. I don't know if that's the, uh, too much of an <laughs> old man yelling at the kids kind of act. It seemed like there were people who kind of had come into the X-Men post Claremont and Mm -hmm. didn't seem to have a lot of appreciation, almost even seemed to have a little bit of antipathy toward him. Um, And so I kind of felt like I wanted to put something out there that was (laughs) balanced things the other way a little bit and uh, gave some credit to uh, the writer who uh, did so much to sort of build up that franchise into what it is. So I, um, uh, a friend of mine named Jeff Clock had a, a blog where he talked about comics, and he agreed to host. Uh, I just went issue by issue and started talking about Claremont's X-Men, and he posted the blogs on his uh, on his, on, his, on his blog. And uh, through that, ended up talking to a lot of other people who were interested in Claremont or who were interested in talking about him, and uh, including a guy who was actually working on a book himself. And also a documentary, a guy named Patrick Meaney. And he um, did the documentary, which came out a couple of years ago, uh, through Sequart. And the book was going to be published by Sequart as well. And then I think Patrick realized he was having a little more... I think the, the documentary thing was more his, his passion. Um, and he was interested in pursuing more topics uh, through the documentary filmmaking. Uh, So that left this kind of vacancy for there to be a book about Claremont Texman. And and, um, I had already done the blog at that point. So, Um, so they actually, they actually came, I pitched it to a bunch of different people before Well, and and I pitched it to Sequart. And when I did that, they, at that point, Patrick's book was in development. So they they said, well, we already have a book on that topic, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So that was kind of it I thought. And then, it was. It might have been as many like a couple of years later. It was. It was quite a bit later that they kind of emailed me out of the blue and said, uh, "Do you still want to do that book?"
0: <laughs> so.
2: Wow,
0: that's so funny. Bro. That's how it came um, into being. Did you? Did you? It's funny you mentioned that. I thought one of the things you said that was really fascinating was um, that he's not getting his due. I, I just. I just listened to uh, Michael K talking about Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter did a signing. Recently, for some kids, seven, eight-year-old kids, it was a charity thing, and he and he turned and he said, "These kids don't even know who I am." And I'm thinking to myself, "My God, this is Derek Jeter," and he's like two, you know, maybe two years out of retirement. Uh, so, is that the kind of, you know, you know, the lack of knowledge that you were kind of finding? Is that you know, people didn't know who he was, or they just weren't responding to his, you know, you know, thing.
2: Uh, I I don't know that there was a lack. Of, oh, hello. Yep. yep you here? Oh, so so it's kind of I got kind of a weird connection here, I guess. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know that it was a lack of knowledge. It was, um, it was with, with everything kind of being available in trade and these days. I, I think I think people knew his name, but I, there, there seemed to be a sort of, um, I, I guess, maybe just a lack of context in, in, in the sense that. Um, there's there's so much X-Men material now if you if you go to a comic store or a bookstore and look at what X-Men graphic novels they've got there there are a couple by Claremont but then there are several by all these other different writers and so Claremont is just kind of maybe a one voice and kind of a voice from the past and hmm. there seems to be a, a lack of maybe not a lack of knowledge I don't want to I don't want to assume that but a, a lack of appreciation for just at one time, it it was just Claremont, you know, and and that a lot of the things that, um, I mean, there there just wouldn't be this huge X Men fan base if it weren't for him. I mean, you know, before him, it was it was much more of a niche thing, you know, and, uh, within that comic book sphere. You know, I mean, uh, arguably they were all a niche thing because it was comics, but. <laughs> Uh, but you know, in comparison to Spider-Man or or Batman or whatever else, you know, the X-Men was kind of on a on a lower tier, and then and it was and it was a pretty small little corner of the of the Marvel universe, and then Marvel built it up over a course of nearly two decades, you know, and um, I guess so. I guess it was that yeah, context that, that seemed absolutely. underappreciated,
0: at least I to me. I can't believe people don't have an appreciation for him, but I can believe it at the same time because, you know, once time goes on, and I think you made a great point there where you kind of see his name among, you know, other people. Bendis has written X Men now, and Bendis is, is current, and I bet it's great writer, so nothing taken away from him, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, I could see that. Um, did you get any input from Chris himself for the book?
2: Uh, yeah, I, um, uh, well, only, only towards the very end. I mean, the book was more or less written. You um, know, there were just there were just a couple things that I had thought. You know, it would be nice to maybe, in addition to you know getting, put, putting my own interpretation of what happened and what I've read from interviews and stuff, to maybe just get it straight from, straight from the source himself. And so, Sequart, mm-hmm. I've arranged new, an interview, and um, so uh, talked to him for I actually talked to him for a pretty long time. But we just kind of uh, he just kind of he kind of just went off and and. Uh, talked about lots of different things that he remembered or, or was proud of and which I was happy to listen to um so I really didn't have to ask him that many questions because he he was happy to just talk so it was very cool you know to uh uh to talk to someone who's you know kind of a hero to me and you know? um but there wasn't it wasn't like a huge it wasn't um he didn't like vet the manuscript or anything and um so a lot of it is just sort of what i've Either my own interpretations or just stuff that I've gleaned from having researched, you know, various interviews that he's given and editors have given, and et cetera.
0: Did you uh, did you get into how and why he was forced out of X-Men back in 91 at all?
2: Oh, did I ask him about it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Or, oh, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm having a little trouble hearing, but um, yeah, I didn't... Uh, I didn't want to bring that up. I guess I felt like that's that's a topic that he has kind of covered in a lot of interviews already. So I didn't necessarily want to pick at the wound. I mean, I think he's kind of long ago made peace with it. But of all the of all the things to maybe resurrect from the past, that was not really something I wanted to to delve into. While I had him on the phone, you know, since I already kind of have seen what he's had to say about that, you know.
0: That makes sense um so here's another question then too um having gone through his epic run i mean you basically went through uh 18 years uh what pattern in his writing um did you see that kind of emerged and which creator do you think he did his best work with or creators i guess well um
2: that's sort of a <laughs> Uh, Well, I'll do uh, to address the first thing about the patterns. Um, I think what I think what emerged to me, and this might have been before I actually wrote the book. It might have just been something that while I was reading, I sort of there was a certain point where I kind of went and um, because I I had been a fan as a kid of I'd read kind of the tail end of of his run and also uh, the early part of his run through kind of reprints and uh, at the time it was Marvel Masterworks and uh, Classic X Men were sort of the go-to places if you wanted to read, like, the the really early stuff. Um, And at a certain point, um, what kind of got me on fire to sort of do the blogs, which later became the book, was that I had gone back. I had finally, I I got it out of college, and I was like, all right, I I got some spending money, you know, I'm going to go back and actually get all the X-Men, all the Claremont X-Men, read it all straight through and uh, just see, <laughs> see what it does for me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that the, when, I, when I sort of think about the shape of it in my head now, there's sort of a, um, again, just speaking to what you said about patterns emerging, I, there was sort of a, a symmetry kind of to it. When I looked at the whole thing, mm-hmm. it feels like, for me as a, as a reader, um, that it kind of ends as it started, In in many ways, it sort of, it starts with um, this very kind of fiercely creative period um, and very colorful period in terms of uh, the costumes and the the look of of the series and the aesthetic with Claremont working with Dave Coffin first and then John Byrne after that. And um, at the end of the run, you've got the work he did with Jim Lee, which was very much um, and Bob Harris was the editor at that time. And both of them, both Bob Harris and Jim Lee, were big fans of that earlier era, the, the, the stuff that Claremont had done with Cockrum and Byrne. Uh, Lee and Harris had experienced that actually as fans. So when they were both together on the series at the same time, they wanted to do stuff that harkened back to that and evoke that same feel um, Yeah, with Claremont being 10 years removed from it was maybe not so uh, excited by that prospect that he he sort of felt like maybe it was going backwards, but he was sort of outnumbered. And it was during a time, um, I guess arguably maybe this was always the case, but it was certainly true in the early 90s that the editor really had a lot of power Yep. to kind of say, well, Jim wants to do it this way, so let's just do it his way for a while and see what happens. And so Claremont had to kind of came and go along with it. So right at the end of the run, you get... um, and uh, you know uh, a, a much more classically superhero style that um, that was very similar, both in the char- in terms of the characters used in the aesthetic, yeah. um, bright colored uh, superhero it's
0: adventure. Of funny uh. that. Um, they just recently announced the X Men blue and gold. Now you know, I mean, it's kind of funny how it's kind of coming yeah. full circle a little bit. at uh, the time in your book couldn't have been better, right? <laughs> i guess that's a good point yeah i, I, hadn't, I
2: hadn't thought about that but yeah it from what i've read the gold theme especially is pretty much the the kind of 1980s lineup with storm and wolverine and colossus and nightcrawler and kitty yeah
0: um
2: yeah they're, they're really but yeah so that now. um so yeah in between oh the other thing that was kind of interesting was reading about when Byrne was on the book um the editor was, uh, for the first part of it anyway, was Roger Stern, who was uh, good friends with Byrne, and they had a lot of similar ideas, very similar to how Jim Lee and Bob Harris had similar ideas. And mm-hmm. uh, Stern and Byrne kind of try to sort of steer Claremont in, in a certain direction, and kind of uh, control more well, of the series than maybe they should have given the right. Claremont was the writer. There's no,
0: there's no doubt about that, because um, Claremont was a wordy, but, wordy writer. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I, um, yeah. And so there was an interesting, so, so that was an interesting symmetry. And then in between um, were, was the era. Um, again, there's kind of a symmetry because right after Byrne, um, I should say right after Roger Stern was the editor, it was Louise Simonson, uh, Louise Jones at the time, um, who was a lot more uh, sympathetic towards. Uh, Claremont's ideas and, and really were happy to let him explore and that's when, the, that's when I think the series became more, mm-hmm. a little more soap operatic and a little more
0: mm-hmm.
2: human drama oriented and, and sort of the aesthetic of things changed and um, he, Claremont wasn't, Claremont had kind of the freedom to uh, get less uh, conventionally superheroic, you know, things got a little more uh, pessimistic I guess or or darker um that's uh, um in terms of the look not so many primary colors and things and, and in terms of the storyline a, a lot a lot fewer out and out victories a lot more sort of period victories or just out out and out losses and um the team roster seemed more free to kind of change and mutate and uh members were coming
0: and going a lot more often what was your favorite flowed you right into the you? oh good what was your favorite period in the eighteen years? Then I mean, because what you're actually talking about um, to me re- resembles the Siege Perilous That was like the Sylvester years, which I loved. I actually loved that storyline. I love the idea that that they all get kind of mind wiped and right spread across the globe, and he spends like thirty issues getting them all back together. Um, but what, what what was your favorite? You know, what was your favorite run? Uh,
2: you know, at this point. <laughs> It's it's I, I'm almost hesitant to say because I, I particularly with working on the book, you know, they all reveal their charms to me all those different eras. But um I actually like I like the, the period you're talking about with the uh yeah, the seas perilous and um right before that I have a lot of affection for the um when they were in the Outback. mm mm-hmm. Which went from uh I think it started Right at the beginning of 1988, it didn't actually last that long, it only lasted about a year and a half until yeah as you said they, they went through the, the gateway, and that was kind of the end of it but it's um I like that period because it that's sort of to me kind of the the epitome of of, of Clamont's willingness to change the premise and just go in, in strange directions and not not be tied down to any. Uh, set of givens as far as what the X Men has to be, you know, it's one of the things that Bob Harris and Jim Lee obviously pushed against, and, and right. kind of said they have to be at the mansion, you know, it has to be Professor X in charge, you know, all the all those sort of things that are the standard things that we think sure. of when we think of the X Men, and, and that have been cemented by uh, the cartoons and the movies and all of that, as far as right platonic ideal of what the x-men have to be so i I like the Outback era because it's sort of really illustrative of how willing claremont was to not not be tied down to any of that and not uh not have any not not have uh take away all the readers assumptions or or, you know subvert any any of the readers assumptions about what has to be in an X Men comic to say yeah um, no, they're not real, in the match so anymore.
0: They're real gonna quick, we've got about thirty uh, seconds left, and I, I still extremely disenfranchised hero musical. But um, give me your favorite um in the next uh, fifteen seconds. Mine is think fast, act faster. That was my always. He says that everywhere, all the time. Um, what's your favorite Claremontism? Wait, which one? Uh, um, I like think fast, act faster. That was always my favorite Claremontism.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> so do you ask me If I have one
0: yeah what's your what do you, do you was there one that you picked up that you're just like, yeah that's a Claremontism? Because there were so many that he used to have throughout his book
2: <laughs> that's true i um you know it's weird like there was an era where uh, like an era in my life where because of the blog and everything I was just to stay on top of it i was I was having to read and reread Claremont just over and over and uh <laughs> to be kind of the exclusion of anyone else and they're almost uh, a lot of those are like almost invisible to me now because I feel like just when I mean, all I read is Claremont, so those are just how people talk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to, so I'm trying to think. Like sometimes people will point them out, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's Claremontism. That's not just a thing that people say. <laughs> it's just a yep. thing his character yep. um, so Yeah. yeah Jason, we're actually we're at, running up against um, the
0: clock here, so I'm gonna. Um... Um, Thank you very much for coming on, and we're going to have to have you on again, too, because you have your superhero musical, which we didn't even get have time to get into at this point, but um, uh, but again, thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Guys. If you want That's to right. check out his uh, his book, it's the best there is at what he does, examining Chris Claremont's X-Men. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com um, slash Claremont period X-Men. So go check it out there, and you can check out him on Twitter, at Jason S.W. Powell. Jason, thanks again. And um, if we come back, what's next for Westworld? Get back into the Westworld talk.
1: You're you listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? talkingalternative.com
0: Welcome back. Secrets of the Sire. We do this every week. Normally from New York City today that was an exception because I'm not feeling too great. My voice is a little choppy. You can kind of tell. Um, that looks the same. The studio looks the same. So if you're streaming live on facebook.com slash Secrets of the Sire, you'll notice I have a headphone set in instead of a microphone. That is usually the only difference. Um, but otherwise, it is uh, pretty much the same show. We talk comics, movies, TV pop culture. We do this every week. Uh, at Michael underscore Dolce. If you like the show, if you love the show, if you, you know, just sort of feel okay about it, I don't care what you think, support us. If you sort of think that, you know, you want to keep us going, um, go to MichaelDolce.com. Um, it'll take you to my Patreon page. You can become a sponsor. You can um, become a backer, a supporter, um, and just, you know, help the show go. we got we got a lot of, we've had, we've got 47 episodes so far. Um, we got a lot of great guests lined up i've got guests lined up through february we've got paul jenkins coming on we got warren simons coming on from uh from valiant comics we've got uh, justin gray we've got erica schultz we've got um alex Aguirre from archie comics um and we're trying to grab joel moby um from comic drive back in the studio as well too to kind of count you know to end our year on a high note because that's what he does but we uh want to thank jason powell again for our um his book is the best there is at what he does, examining Chris Claremont's X-Men. Um, again, if, if you can get it on Amazon. Um, Facebook page is facebook.com/claremontxmen, um, and he's also a super, he wrote a superhero music musical, which we didn't even have time to get into. Twenty minutes goes by really, really fast a lot of times, so um, we definitely want to talk about that too. Welcome back, at spot of Star uh on our Periscope feed. Um, all right, so here's let's talk about the good and the awesome about Westworld, and we got one more thing to talk about when it comes to Westworld, is what's to come with Westworld. But a couple things that they didn't quite do. We didn't talk about the bad. Um, So one of the things that we want to talk about for the bad, um, and Sam brought this up too, how come no one knows that Bernard and Arnold are, they look exactly the same? Uh, They sort of answer that. They sort of get into that a little bit when, you know, when Ford kind of suggests that the whole Arnold debacle happened you know, after um, i sorry, the Arnold. Uh, sorry, the the board actually comes into play after the Arnold debacle. That they were partners together, um, and then when he was, when he died, he had to seek outside help. Uh, so in that in that regard, um, you know, they they kind of explain it away, but they don't really give in it much detail. I mean, you would think someone would be like, "Hey, Bernard looks just like the co-founder of this park." That's the one question I have. Um, and Sam is the one that brought that up and, 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 and rightfully so. I think it is I think it is a, a glaring I don't think it's an omission or an error, but like you even have this thing where the um the Asian scientist is like, Whoa, that guy's a host, I had no idea, and I get it. Um, he's low level. Why would he know? How would he know? But you would think the chief of security would know. Boy, you really resemble a guy that, you know, co created this park. I mean, I guess thirty years had passed. I guess that maybe, maybe they wouldn't know. Now I'm curious with their with the security guard who got left in Westworld um, in episode nine. Curious if maybe he was putting it together, that um, maybe he looked at pictures because, I mean, again, yes, I get it. It was 30 years had passed, so maybe you wouldn't. Maybe that's maybe that's the explanation, right? 30 years has passed. Why would you think Bernard uh, is a host, or why would you think it? Maybe if he even resembled Arnold. I mean, you would never think it. I guess you just, you would never know. Um, but the thing is, they all know Arnold died also. So, I, I don't know. Definitely a glaring, uh, glaring error, at least in my mind. But, um, you know, yeah, look, if you were listening to it from the beginning, it's a perfect story arc. It's a perfect story arc. Now, what is to come, though, right? I actually think it doesn't need to go with season two. I, I want to see it. I'm not saying let's not see it. I'll be the first one to watch. But we've seen some other real failures. Look at the Matrix movies, right? I mean, that's something that, you know, did it need a sequel? Did it need a two and a three? No. Did, did Keanu Reeves at the end of the Matrix defeat the, uh, you know, defeat the Matrix? No. But you kind of thought he was going to. Um, Ed Harris, man in black character has been wanting robots to fight his entire time have we seen him fought, you know, fight them for real? no but it's going to happen I don't need to see it I don't need to see any of this again I, I'm not upset I, I'm not telling them not to come back for season 2 which is not coming back till 2018 I'm just merely saying maybe we don't need to see as much as I, I'm just worried it's going to go the way of True Detective right? True Detective was one of the most gripping 10 episodes awesome, awesome show. Season 2 was kind of like, eh, clearly it's almost like a it's almost like a band when they have a breakthrough album, right? Their breakthrough album is usually like their first or their second or, or, or an album that they've you know, that they've been able to produce before they make it big. Once they make it big, the expectation level rises so much that they ultimately don't end up he did. And it's always going to be compared now. Um, Malu eighty seven. I hope I'm pronouncing her her username correctly. Um, you know, she brought it up. Game of Thrones is great. Game of Thrones keeps getting better every season, right? Because you know what? As much as it was one of the biggest books of all time, and it was in the mainstream, it wasn't in the mainstream like it is on TV. He had six books to really build a story. And in a novel, you get to kind of go places you might not normally get to go on TV. You get to go places that you get to explore, kind of like our last guest was talking about, Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont had the freedom to explore. He had the freedom to take the X-Men wherever he wanted to, because even though the X-Men were the cornerstone of the Marvel Universe, you know, comic books in the 80s were just rising in popularity, gaining popularity. It wasn't until the 90s when it absolutely blew up, that all of a sudden he was experiencing, you know, Claremont was basically like, Well, now we can't have you do this and this and this. There's too much to lose. Uh, one of the things I didn't get into detail with Jason Powell, but it's a great analogy to the expectation level is, you know, Claremont wanted to kill Wolverine. That was his that was his entire plot line. He's like, I want to kill Wolverine, I want to resurrect him as a as an assassin for the hand. And Bob Harris is like, We can't have that. Uh, Because Wolverine's in eighteen different books. And he's our biggest character, and he, you know, we can't have him be a villain. You can't, you can't ruin Wolverine like that. Once you make a villain, that's it. We can't sell, you know, cereal boxes, and we can't sell merchandise, and we can't sell comics. So no, you can't do it. And that was one of the biggest bones of contention that, you know, Claremont had with Bob Harris. Things got too big. This first season of Westworld has now gotten to a point where there's just so much to lose if they don't have this planned out they don't have the luxury of being planned out they don't have the luxury of of game of thrones really really good though that they're going to take an extra um you know year to get this thing planned out really promising to hear so what did jonathan nolan say about next season before we sign off though he said absolute chaos he said if this was all about control i was reading an article said if this if this season was all about control you know, who has control over who next season's chaos, absolute chaos. So, yes, like I said, I'm interested to see what Samurai World is going to be. Um, medieval World was another one. Um, interesting to see where they go with the different worlds. Does Ford have a hand in crafting those worlds, those narratives? What about the storytellers who originally crafted, uh, who wanted to craft the big narrative and then got forced out? You know, there's definitely, look, there's definitely plenty, plenty to go into. Um but again, don't want it to be Veronica Mars, where the first season was so good and the rest didn't didn't compare. Heroes, that first season, so great. The rest didn't compare. And True Detective, the Matrix movie. Chime in, hit me up on Twitter. Um, and is that why, if Spider-Pamira Stark uh, asked, is that why Penny Dreadful ended at its high? At its high. Maybe. I mean, that actually was a ratings thing, actually. They just, they just weren't getting the ratings. Westworld, no problems getting renewed. They got renewed midway through. Shoot me um, on the Facebook page or at, at Michael underscore Dolce on Twitter. I'd love to know TV shows or movies that didn't deserve a sequel. We'll throw up a poll during the week and we'll talk about that next week. But next week we want to welcome Valiant uh, editor in chief Warren Simons on to discuss the past, present, future of Valiant Comics. We'll see you next week, 8 p.m. Eastern, TalkingAlternative.com. Ding ding
1: ding 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 ding. Ding 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 ding. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. You're listening
2: to The Talking Alternative Network. At www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24
1: hours a day. Talking Alternative. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Are you a conscious co-creator?
2: Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?